All right, guys, I do believe we are live. Welcome to another episode of the Break the Rules live stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov at Levpo on Twitter, at X nowadays, and we are here for a meeting of the great minds. Sticks Hexenhammer 666 has returned along this time with Dave, the distributist. And as far as whether this is going to be a debate, a discussion, we are going to find that out as we keep going here, because I want to dive deep, you know, not all this fluff, but I want to get to the core of the disagreements over here as far as what distributism is and whether or not Sticks, being a classical liberal, has room to bring in certain neo-reactionary thought into uh, into his own world here. And uh, for those who don't know, Sticks Hexenhammer 666 has been uh, for a long time a classical liberal, like I consider myself to be, wherein you believe in the ideas of the Founding Fathers, separation of powers, from what I understand, right? Like, you would have a very Enlightenment-focused uh, view of the situation, while Dave, you disagree with some of those things. And I want to get in, dive right in there as far as where exactly, Dave, you would go back in time and make a stop sign and say, no more, we are not going beyond this point. Uh, would you, for example, get rid of the Bill of Rights? Would you get uh, rid of uh, certain protections <laughs> that are considered to be of a classically liberal nature? Like, I don't want to mess yeah, around yeah. With, the, with, with the fluff of like saying, well, you know, independently people can organize, you know, on their own different things. No, I want to talk politics. I want to get right into yeah. the political propositions here. I'll summarize my position. And, you know, it, it, this is sort of the neo-reactionary take. It doesn't really have anything to do with distributism, which was sort of the Catholic social movement from the early 20th century. But the, the the critique, the neo-reactionary critique of the Enlightenment is essentially that the, these documents and these ideas that you see coming out of John Locke and the Founding Fathers, I mean, I think that they're very admirable as aspirational documents. There's something necessarily wrong with them. Uh, but, but as actual living law or as actual real politics, uh, they don't work largely because the founding fathers wrote these documents and created these institutions with certain assumptions about how society would work, specifically assumptions about how a population would relate in terms of religion, in terms of a, a very constant moral framework, and in terms of, say, a constant relationship to things like language, truth, and education. And in the modern era, all of these things that were kind of constants that would create the undergirding of a society, undergirding of an ordered society that, that came from uh, essentially Northwestern Europe, all of those things have now in the early 21st century become highly unstable. And so it's like any kind of physical model. It's a model that's now operating outside of its axiomatic framework the assumptions that it relies on no longer really apply and this creates i think problems for us uh, a great example would be i think wasn't didn't last night destiny debate alex jones on the whole insurrection thing or the january 6th thing i mean this is a great example right so the the document of of the constitution in the 14th amendment uh, admittedly it is an amendment uh, essentially prohibits office holders from participating in insurrection. 
But what does insurrection mean? It could mean anything in the 21st century, and it's used to mean anything. In the 19th century, all of these words and all of these moral positions were constant. They were a common framework, a common language that people used to communicate to each other. Once you start gaming these things and they become politicized, then one person's insurrection is another person's rowdy protest. One person's freedom fighter is another person's heretical traitor. And you keep on going down the line and we enter into the world of Schmidtian politics and of Machiavellian politics, which is where we find ourselves right now. Sticks, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, see, this is why it's not going to be terribly much of a debate, because I think that we agree on probably about 80% of what you would say. Uh, it's true that linguistic shenanigans are a big problem. What I would posit is that I want a reset back to a prior generation of Americanism. Of course, I'm mm. in the United States, so I mean, I don't care what the French are doing or something like that. I do uh, to a limited extent. Uh, what I would say is that we have tried classical liberalism. Uh, it does work. And what you're saying is that it stopped working effectively because of shenanigans. What I would suggest is to get rid of the shenanigans, the linguistic shenanigans, the authoritarianism and so forth, the, the functions of government that we have today, mm -hmm. put them back in the box. I do believe that that is possible. Uh, and one of the reasons that I believe this is because the classically liberal sort of movement that you get in the Enlightenment period arose out of an era of government, which was top heavy, hierarchical, sometimes clerical, it sort of depends mm -hmm. on the nation, um, heavily oligarchic in other uh, instances. And they were successful and they weren't expected to be successful. They were a bunch of ragtag, you know, peasants, basically, that took up arms that were led by certain military leaders and and people who would be i suppose part of the marginal aristocracy certainly intelligentsia uh, but what we need is an intelligentsia style uh, movement to actually get that going i'm not talking about militarism or anything like that i think our main disagreement doesn't even have so much to do with forsaking modernity as it currently is i, I think any sane person would forsake the, the current construct of government so sociopolitics in general I think it just has to do with if both of us had time machines, what date we would set it to. And that's really, I, I think, the crux of it. I look at like the early United States. It was successful. Uh, infrastructure was being developed. People were becoming more and more literate. Uh, more and more wealth was being generated, absent the, the slave debate and a few other issues which uh, you wouldn't have nowadays. Mm. Um, you seem to want to go back further than you know, 1776, so to speak. And I think that I think that that's the main crux of it. I mean, uh, otherwise, I don't know that we have much to debate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess the thing I is, watched, like, I watched your yeah. videos. I watched a couple of your videos the other day, by the way, a very good job. Oh, oh thank you. Thank you. And I'm yeah. a huge fan of, of your work as well. Uh, my wife in particular. <laughs> um, but uh, but, um, you know, it's uh, it, it, I think that the, the problem here with is that I don't necessarily see this as coming from shenanigans. Uh, the, the thing is, is that um, <clears throat> when we talk about the, the old 18th century idea of constitutionalism and law, uh, it, it's sort of ridiculously more formal than what we would imagine in the 21st century, because in many ways, this was an extension of a religious instinct, specifically a religious instinct that came out of a certain variety of Protestantism. And the low, the low church variety, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I guess there's a variety of religious backgrounds that the founding fathers had, but they, they all were essentially British law nerds. And I do not think that the Constitution could have been created by people of a Catholic imagination like my own. It's such a fundamentally Protestant document in, in a lot of ways, and a fundamentally sort of Northwestern European Protestant document. And uh, and it carries with it their religious sensibility. Then the question is, what validity, why do, for instance, the moral prescriptions of a bunch of men in the 18th century why are they necessarily binding on us in the 20th century? And if there's not a good answer to that question, then political power is going to attempt to move these conclusions one way or the other. And, and there, there will always be language shenanigans because that's what essentially helps power consolidate itself. I remembered this is, I, it's always bad to quote books that you're not done reading, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I'm in the middle of The Ancient City by Fustel de Cologne, and uh, it's a great book, but, but this is a comparison that, you know, Curtis Yarvin made uh, recently on his blog that was been on your channel multiple times. And he says, you know, the, the ancients considered, the ancient pagans considered law and order to be sort of an extension of the religious obligation. And this is essentially what carries forward into the idea of constitutionalism. Uh, without that kind of religious reverence for what these documents mean, it's very hard to see how they can constrain political will. And if they can't, then we, we find ourselves into this in this crisis, you know. What I would say in answer to that, though, is that holds true for any particular governing system that happens to exist, though, uh, the doctrine of uh, some king or some chieftain or something like that, again, would fall prey to the same basic metric now, wouldn't it? If if, if, mm. if if religion is involved, we might as well talk about the high and low church movement to some extent as well, uh, maybe uh, in our conversation, conversation sure. slash debate. Um, a king can claim, okay, well, God has allowed me to rule. The Constitution is based on a religious artifact, effectively, one that unfortunately died in the United States for the most part in the uh, 19th century. It's called the Low Church Movement. Uh, they used the common book of prayer more than they did the Bible. People mm -hmm. kept to themselves. Uh, the fire and brimstone era kind of begins to denigrate that and everything falls more into ritualism. Uh, I've, I've spoken about this a number of times. It's actually a fascinating subject. People should look up high church versus low church. So their minds will be blown if they're Christians. Um, I would say that that's not necessarily, though, a denigration of classical liberalism. I would say that the underpinning that promoted classical liberalism that was part of that should be returned. I don't think that Western civilization is beyond repair to the point where we inevitably fall back into authoritarian systems, what I would say is we need to peel back the layers of authoritarianism. And in the long, in the long run, short term, it's more difficult, uh, much more difficult. Long term, we save ourselves and our progeny a lot of difficulties by doing so. And uh, I would be interested, actually, Dave, mm -hmm. in hearing what specific, if you could uh, design a perfected system, uh, one that you would conceive of as stable and, and fair and prosperous and so forth, what specific singular system would you actually promote? Uh, if, if you could incept a government or a yeah, state or, mean, or some sort of rulership entity, I'm, I'm interested <coughs> in hearing that. I'm like, I, I, I kind of would really like something that uh, looked 
like the, the early kind of highly religious colonies that existed in the North, uh, you know, among, among sort of the Puritans and the Quakers. I thought that those were ideal high trust societies. I mean, obviously their technology was worse. They didn't have penicillin, right? But I mean, and, and they were for the most part democratic and Republican, but they, they had sort of this high trust, high order societies that were an extension of their religious belief. Uh, that would be my ideal. Everyone wants to live in, in in those times in civilization because more freedom does correspond to higher productivity and more human thriving as long as it's done uh, with, with, I mean, but freedom is not absolute. Freedom has to be built on a substructure of, of order and moralism. And, and you know, when, when I, I, I don't want to lump Yarvin into my own beliefs, but I believe they're somewhat similar. You know, I mean, uh, you know, when when when, we, when people look towards the Caesar, they're looking not towards an extension of uh, the height of Republican virtue. They're looking for more or less a lifeboat. Uh, the, the establishment of the Roman Empire in its early few decades was highly artistically and technologically productive, but it very quickly fell into sort of a stagnation because Caesar was, from my historical understanding of him, essentially a surrogate for the death of the Roman religion. And, you know, I think that he's rightly credited as holding back the chaos, or I should say the, the line of Caesars is credited, in my opinion, rightly for holding back the chaos, but it's not ideal. It's not ideal. And furthermore, it's hard to see necessarily why any revivification of civilization would necessarily have to have a liberal or Republican form to it. Uh, in history, it seems that the most common form of social organization is much more top down. But you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't not see the the benefits for these societies as they existed in like the Dutch republics and in in uh, in early early American colonies. I, I very much admire them, even not being of that ethnic heritage myself. Quick question before Stix responds to you, Dave. Uh, you did a tweet a while back uh, saying, "Yes, I hate the Constitution, and I want bla <laughs> and I want blasphemy laws." So, would you stand by that statement? And in that sense, would that be something that you would want to be instituted in a top-down way, or is it more of like if there's like an isolated village somewhere that you run or something that gets to have blasphemy laws, but you're not going to apply that to the government? But since you said you hate the Constitution, <laughs> then you want to get rid of the federal government, uh, you know, being able to you know protect people's rights in that way altogether. I was being a little facetious, not gonna lie, but uh, but but I do. When I say I dislike the Constitution, I don't mean disrespect to the people who wrote the Constitution, or what they were trying to create. What what I hate is sort of the shadow of the dead god, as Nietzsche would say, the the shadow of the Constitution, uh, kneeling before this object that's fundamentally supposed to constrain government and be a representation of the words as written. And it hasn't been for 70, perhaps even almost 150 years. And we're still kind of circling this document. And, and I'm not so sure even what it's supposed to represent in the modern world. What I would say to that is that we need to drastically expand the Constitution, undergo another revolutionary period, preferably a bloodless one, mm -hmm. and simply try to fix the mistakes that the founders did indeed make. 
partially linguistically, again, another point on which we agree, there are people who think that the militia that's referred to in the Second Amendment has to do with the U.S. military, that to be well-regulated has to do with the modern term as opposed to the archaic, no longer used term uh, to mm -hmm. mean well-supplied and well-capable of functioning, like a, like a watch or something like that. It's definitely a problem. Uh, and again, no disagreement for me. But I think that the system is salvageable because what we've seen is that it did work. It worked until it was denigrated. It worked for the first roughly, well, I mean, depending on what you define working as, at least the first 70 years of our nation, arguably up until roughly the FDR period, the period of bomb throwing anarchists and socialism and things of that nature. I think that uh, in a way you argue throwing out the baby with the bathwater, that is, and you openly acknowledge the system in and of itself, you don't have a problem with, you just see it as non-working. Well, then I say, let's repair it, make it work again. That system should be instilled and maintained. And there are plenty of groups of people who have differences of opinion with regards to why the system broke down. I have a feeling that mostly it's top-down authoritarianism, which is indicative of some of the, the systems that you may actually yourself prefer. Uh, and number two, in, in a sense, yeah, demographic shift, which is a taboo subject that I won't get into too much on somebody mm. else's live stream. <laughs> Had to do with the 1960s and immigration policy. Uh, Just saying. No, it's okay. The well, last stream, that, the that last stream we talked about that too. Because like even a, if we were yeah. to just take wasps and people who were whose families were here before 1965, which are not mine <laughs> for the record. Oh, 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 I guess some of my mother's ancestors were here before the the, the 40s, right? Um, but. Uh, even if we were just to take people who've been here for 200 years, Americans aren't the same people as they were in the 19th century. We're not the same people as we were in the 18th century. Uh, there's been a huge amount of change in terms of our religious behavior and in terms of how we're educated. And, and so now we have to confront this, this problem of, uh, of a people who kind of, I mean, you know, I hate to constantly copy from other people, but it's been said, and I remember who said this, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Yarvin, but it's been said, you know, if the founders saw the people as they were today, they would say something like, these people are degenerates, they need a king. <laughs> and and so now we're going to say, oh, well, we need to, you know, we need to change, we need to revivify the government. What we really mean is we need to revivify the people. But revivifying, revivifying the people and changing the people and reforming their moralism is a, is a much larger and broader and more difficult project. And if, if the government is essentially dysfunctional and handing out power for, for political lobbying purposes to people who organize in political coalitions, it's really, really hard to see how that's reestablished. A uh, quick question before sticks. If we consider a purely hypothetical scenario where a political system aims to enforce traditional values without expecting people to adopt them uh, voluntarily, then what other way could be done here other than an authoritarian, totalitarian, top-down system in order to instill those values? So, Dave, I'm curious, would you prefer any other kind of way or think of any other way other than an authoritarian system in order to force morality upon people? Yeah, that's this is very difficult. Um, the the what I want to emphasize in this conversation is 
it's not so much like I look at authoritarian and go like, oh, goody, goody, gumdrop. Someone's going to tell me what to do. What I'm trying to avoid is a particular mechanism by which corruption is introduced into the system. And, and this is sort of, you know, it's, there's, there's many ways that corruption is introduced in democratic systems, but the most frequently cited way, you can see this in conservative thinkers and libertarian thinkers, is for the population just to vote itself goods from the, the public coffers, uh, partially in terms of entitlements, but more in terms of debt, which is the huge, I'm sure Stix agrees with this, uh, you know, debt-based financialized economies are, are sort of the heart of all Western systems at this point. And they're also the way in which uh, modern polities essentially teleport non-existent money in, into the present system for themselves. If this door is open, and it's hard to see how it can be shut under democratic or republican systems of government, I don't see how our, our political system is not dominated by it and our economy is not defined by it. And it's an attempt to get around this problem that we we reach for things like monarchical systems as, as sort of I don't want to say chemotherapy, but a sort of kind of uh, a, a tonic of last resort, if I'm if I use sort of weird <laughs> mixed metaphors. Um, that that's what I see as kind of why authoritarianism or monarchical systems are being considered, because in some ways we are the politics of anti-politics. We are the politics that wants to move things in, in a direction where choice and not voice is primary in, in which skin in the game confers uh, control over government and not a popularity contest. And this is essentially, uh, the feeling is that this is, might be an impossible to, task to accomplish under the constraints of liberalism and Republican government. Mm. It sounds like you're on the black pilled side, sort of like this, <laughs> this is the last resort and like, you know, it's a drastic purge and stuff like that. I would just like to point out, I, I think that reform within a Republican system is possible. It's also possible within a monarchy. Uh, but do you not inevitably shift the tendencies of corruption that you, you recognize and you're not wrong on this within a democratic society, within a republic? The corruption potentially of the population, I think you'll agree with this, bleeds actually upwards into the corruption of politicians. It's not that the politicians arrive, they're generically corrupt, and mm. then people have a problem. People vote for them. People yeah. choose them through through stupidity or or, or through... Uh, well, through incentives. Uh, incentives. And, yeah, well, that would fall under stupidity, I would argue. Um, how would that not compact the corruption if you had like a monarchical system, even a limited one, um, like you have today in the UK, technically speaking, and other systems that actually exist? How would it not compact the corruption at the top, making it actually more dangerous because you could have a total psychopath making the rules? Even if you had a parliamentary system, let's, let's say that's semi-representative. Um, we see that today in Britain. Uh, are we going to argue that the UK is more free, more prosperous than the United States, which has a more Republican style of government or uh, uh, let's say the French system or something like that? I would argue that they're worse off. I would argue that the only thing that's keeping the United States afloat at this point is still the vestiges of the constitutional sort of enlightenment period. And what we should be doing is making that case going forward to people 
to try to scrape things together so that we can get just enough people, just enough states to drastically expand the Constitution, effectively a second revolutionary referendum, drastically expand the Constitution, simplify the language, make sure that everyone knows the militias, the people at large, etc. The, the Tenth Amendment does yeah. apply to states after the first 13 colonies, drastically reform it. In fact, I would think in the case of the United States, where we are, I would think that while that would be a very difficult task, it would be easier actually than instituting some form of monarchism, which would overly, which would overtly collapse the system. I mean, uh, people wouldn't tolerate it anyway. There'd be there'd be no, I think, will among ninety nine percent of the population to ever overhaul the system and say, you know what, we've gotten tired of doing this voting thing. We're just going to have a king or a queen or or a chieftain or something. Yeah, and, and in, in a realistic sense, with America existing as an intact entity, you it would have to be a monarch in the way that Abraham Lincoln was a monarch or in a way that FDR was a monarch. Not now like now you're razor fist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but that the, the thing is, is, you know, you were kind of harping on a point. There's an interesting philosophical issue that I, I'm tempted to chase down, which is the difference between stupidity and following incentive, perverse incentives. But but I'm I'm going to kind of sidestep that and say you know I, I'm not like I, uh, the, I, the as Madison said if, if if men were angels there would not need to be any government I would in the perfect environment where everyone was just moral and acting in in a moral religious sense and not a political one then you could you could imagine some kind of pure democracy working. Uh, the, the the point of the matter is, and the cause of the corruption in, under my belief is politics. Our leaders aren't thinking about what's good for this country. They're thinking about how to beat their political rivals. Uh, the, the mass migration that's coming into this country, I mean, it was hypothetically beneficial in the 90s, although I would highly question that. But at least you could kind of convince yourself that it was on balance better. But the mass migration that's coming in now is very obviously degrading our entire system to the point where the cities can't even maintain it infrastructurally anymore. Uh, but the reason why it's being supported by the government is that it helps them against their political rivals. This is sort of the political mode of thinking. And what we're trying to procure is any government that does not think in this way. The idea of the monarch is that the monarch can't possibly have political rivals. Therefore, his decisions are fundamentally in the mode of securing and improving the people. But that's yeah. not been that's not been historically the case, though. There's always been court intrigue, assassinations, rivalries and so forth. There's no real way to secure a monarch with absolute power. And if they did have that and then they misused it, then all hell would break loose even worse. If, That's anything, a fair you want, if anything, you want the monarch to be able to be assassinated mm. and deposed or something like that or thrown in the Tower of London because they might be nuts or uh, mm. something wrong with them. They make stupid decisions. Well, unless okay, you had yeah. unless you had a singular unless you had a singular world government, which is obviously ironic considering our discussion, um, you could never really uh, attain that. I mean, I mean in, you, in, in an insular sense, it, it just wouldn't work. We've seen you, it historically you want, you want for a million king. years. You want the king to be removable for issues like treason, and 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 sort of insanity, and, but, but and like macrocosmic. But who you, decides you don't want that? The king, you don't want the king to be removable, or you don't want the government to be subject to politics. You don't want the managerial decisions to be 
to be a reason for the king to be removed. You don't want the king to be removed because he didn't pay out some entitlement to this mm. group and not the other one. And well, you the don't same want thing that, is true but for, that's still what you get anyway. I mean, look, I mean, no system is beyond corruption, right? No, yeah. You're absolutely right about that. And oftentimes, I, I will concede that monarchy is treated as a completely apolitical system. When you are 100% right, there are elements of politics even in monarchy. There's court intrigue. There's assassination. There's this Machiavellian shit that goes on. And that's just going to be a reality of being human. Uh, the the idea though is that that those avenues and those directions for corruption are minimized, and the government is then refocused on its core priorities of benefit towards the body politic, and, and away from sort of rank political concerns, at least for the majority of the population. There is again, a quick... again, I would I would say that that's just simply not historically the case, though. If we look at monarchies throughout time it's a tale of war and intrigue even when there's nothing foreign going on uh, there's something domestically going on what i would say is that the corruption that we both correctly identify i think we agree on that there's corruption mm -hmm. in the world it's fairly obvious uh, is going to be present in whatever system you happen to incept therefore the best possible system is one that attempts to tamp it down and limit it on a more permanent basis my theory is that the founding fathers had the right idea, but they arguably didn't go far enough. In fact, they started off with the Articles of Confederacy, weakening the federal government much further than the U.S. Constitution that comes later. Sure. The later, the later inception limits them far less. They should have struck more of a balance between the two and debated a little bit more on, you know, taxation obviously became a necessity. They had to throw that in but they limited other elements of states' rights and individual rights in the process without making all of the language clear. And then you had lingering issues like slavery and things like that. We've cleared some of them up over time. What I would do, the most pragmatic solution I see is to massively expand the constitutional system, try to uh, expand it in other countries. Like for instance, right now, Taiwan is looking down the barrel of a gun. Well, if they had a second amendment, they would be a lot less afraid. We should be lobbying other countries to at least adopt the constitutional law that we've already gotten, as opposed to having something like a monarchy, which is effectively a dictatorship or an oligarchy, uh, and then incepting that without any... I mean, if you had a constitutional monarchy, I suppose yeah, it wouldn't really matter at mm. that point, but you still need to have a beefy constitutional system. Uh, quick question, by the way, before you respond, Dave, and this is for both of you guys. The uh, talk that, Dave, you were uh, um, saying regarding uh, hating politics, it does, uh, and I'm going to be very blunt about this, it does remind me of a lot of speeches that were made in the uh, early 20th century by a lot of charismatic people who were also talking about how much they hated politics and how much they wanted the people to have uh, much more freedom and all this kind of stuff. What would you say, and I don't want to besmirch, I want to find out what, in your opinion, this is for both of you guys, is the difference between neo-reactionary thought and fascism? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, this is, from a neo-reactionary perspective, fascism is... You know, this is I'm kind of copying Evola here, but but fascism as a political party seems to copy all of the things that we criticize in democracy with a, a few of its benefits. I mean, you know, arguably you could 
probably find something good about uh, the the fascist perspective here or there, right? But the, the, a lot of the decisions made by fascist leaders were essentially appeals to their popularity impulse. And this is something that naturally is going to lead to bad decision-making, as it did in terms of people like Hitler. Uh, Hitler, there was one historian, I can't remember which one, who said that it, during the war, Hitler consistently had to decide between the the benefit to the Reich and the benefit to the Nazi party. And he always chose the Nazi party over the Reich because at heart, he was a democratic politician who was playing to an audience. Hence, crazy decisions like declaring war on the United States and the whole uh, invasion of, of Russia, which was sort of ill-conceived with the, the Western Front still fundamentally open. Hmm. Uh, you know, so so I mean, I think that's the critique in the abstract that uh, a neo-reactionary would have against fascism. But I, you know, to return to Stix's point, I mean, the the difficulty here is that you know we can we can revivify these constitutional arrangements, but the question is uh, the the nature and culture of the people in question. One thing that I've become incredibly convinced of over the last 15 years is that some people just can't handle American-style governments. American-style governments just don't seem to work for people in Afghanistan or many people in Africa. Stronger governments are needed to keep these systems in line because if they feel like they're dealing with a weak government, then immediately people will try to grab power at the highest level. You've, you've actually got a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, certain, I think it's more cultural than anything else, though. Uh, there are certain cultures around the world where for thousands of years only strength is particularly respected. It mm -hmm. would not make sense to try to introduce a Republican system of government into such an area. I was referring more to what we would conceive of as generally westernized nations. So expanding constitutionalism in, let's say, Japan lawful society, highly literate, etc. cetera, I, I think they can probably handle more liberty. Uh, we should be looking at it sort of as, and, and I know that you, I, I believe, at least uh, deny this concept, look at it as a progressive, small p, I'm not talking about in the leftist uh, standpoint, Sure. progressive sort of system whereby cultures are, and I don't have any problem with this uh, concept from the 19th century, like the colonials would say, well, there are different cultures. Some of these are savages, some of them are barbarians. Then you've got the civilized nations, and then you have the truly great ones. And there was a sense of optimism, the idea that people could be progressed from one stage to the other. Uh, the problem is they did that mainly by trying to exploit people. And that was, by the way, their own corruption in the process. But the basic premise, I actually agree with. The basic premise of that political eugenics, I think, is correct. A culture can be uplifted by a greater culture, give them a hand up, and then hopefully, over time, there's no more need for the overt centralized government. I may be just a blind optimist, but I can't really see any other way in which the world can get beyond where it's at right now or end up inevitably falling into authoritarian globalism or the world fractures, and then you have a bunch of, of fascist uh, dictatorships and communist nations and stuff. Mm. As far as fascism, I don't think that what you're suggesting, Dave, is, is really fascistic, so to speak. Uh, there's a little bit of a different dynamic there. You seem to be you seem to be more of a fan of uh, kings and queens than of uh, Mussolini. <laughs> yeah, well, I I, I, um, I always say that there's a fundamental difference between totalitarianism and authoritarianism. 
and, and I really dislike the totalitarian impulse in government. And uh, I, I do not like this whole, I mean, this is the direction we're moving. I do not like this whole direction towards thought control. And I understand why it's being done. It's being done essentially to fill the hole of a missing religious impulse in society that's organic. But in my opinion, this is one organic element of human society that cannot be surrogated by the state, which is its religious impulse. And when societies become totalitarian, they attempt to they attempt to supplant this organic religious impulse that the people possess with their own creation. And, and this, in my opinion, has always resulted in absolute disasters. Okay. My my concern about the, the cultural thing is that I, I think that this, you know, I'm kind of like the opposite side. I mean, we could argue about taboo subject like FHDBD and that stuff, but it's not necessary because individual populations like the, the, the same cultures, the same genetic lines have over the course of the 20th century manifestly changed. And in my opinion, manifestly culturally changed in very, very negative ways to the extent that it, it's very questionable whether the governments that worked so well for their ancestors would work for them now. I can't see how the, the, the government that worked so well for the Plymouth Rock colonies would would work for their great 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 granddaughter who is you know this 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 advocate for for gender theory and uh, modern modern progressivism and and so you're sitting here wondering how to kind of put humpty dumpty back together again uh and you know i i'm not like morally opposed to classical liberalism, but someone's going to need to teach these kids how to <laughs> embrace the virtues of their ancestors. And I don't see this coming out of uh, the, these kind of, um, I don't know, minimalistic uh, approaches that you, that you hear classical liberals talking about. If you do have I, your top-down approach, oh. though, real quick, if you do have your top-down approach, though, Dave, would there be room for all this, uh, you know, religious uh, exuberance for somebody like Styx, who does not necessarily subscribe to any particular religion if it's something that's instituted in a top-down manner? I'm in the stockades. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I consider Styx to be an aristocrat of the, the spirit, like mm. Evola talked about. I'm not the biggest Evola fan, but he has uh, got some killer quotes. So I end up quoting him a lot, uh, even though I have other problems with his work. Uh, but I consider, I, I think there needs to be room for aristocratic ar poets and aristocrats of spirit to pursue their calling. And, you know, look, I'm not the biggest enthusiast for the Caesarian move because I recognize the Caesarian move to be one that's fundamentally irreligious in a lot of ways and that leads to kind of a shell society. Uh, it's just a, a safe move for, you know, it's just the way to hold off the collapse. And, um, you know, I'm kind of thinking like Harry Selden here, you know, how do you, how do you make this civilizational collapse last the shortest possible amount of time it possibly could? given the sorry state that we're already in. And that's kind of my, my, the way I'm thinking about these problems right now, right? Hmm. I, I would say, uh, yeah, it's an interesting point. Actually, I've got nothing to say at the moment. 
Well, Six, I have a question for you then. When it comes to not just you being in the stockades, but in general, <laughs> this uh, this top-down, uh, and you're pretty tall, by the way, so we're going to have to make a lot of room, uh, this, uh, this top-down uh, way of doing things. The other problem that I see here is that when you're talking about this not necessarily being like fascism, if we have a king without a parliament, if we have a ruler that has absolute power over people, and then you can substitute the religious exuberance that Dave was talking about that people would naturally gravitate towards with something like social justice, or with something like Nazism, or with something else that would take the place of a religion. By that point, what would the real difference be between the masses that are ignited by some kind of ruler, you know, for being for a particular religion no. versus them being in, ignited for like a fascistic movement or yeah, something else? Yeah, and, and, and that's the problem with such movements because a, a king or a queen or something like that is still going to be motivated by that democratic tendency in the population at large. Like if 70% of the population is tired of something within that society, it's not going to matter that they have absolute authority unless they want to massacre their own population or something like that. Within a Republican system, as long as it's very constitutionalized, you can constrain power, generally speaking. I, I think it just doesn't go far enough, effectively. Um, those systems destabilize because of that, because inevitably over the next two, three hundred years in this kingdom, there will be a war, there will be a famine, there will be X, Y, and Z. Having uh, one particular person or even like a council, like an oligarchic council deciding things is just not a stable way of doing things. Uh, it makes more sense to give the people at least bread and circus and allow them to uh, pretend that the people that are ruling over them represent them. Honestly, though, the best possibility is that those that are representing them are simply severely constrained. There's a, there's a fairly simplistic, straightforward set of things that they can and cannot do, and you're not likely to get that in a monarchic situation. You're not going to get it under fascism or something like that. Well, um, I'm actually kind of interested in floating by you, Sticks. Uh, Joseph de Maestra, who's... I wouldn't call him reactionary. He's kind of this, you know, French Revolution era, Napoleonic era thinker. He he famously asserted that constitutions were simply an expression of a spiritual ethos that was felt by a people at a given time. And, and that the actual written document was just a post hoc description of that. And that ultimately what, what was being acted out and what was being expressed was a feeling of the people themselves. And, and I'm very sympathetic to this point of view. I believe that, I'm not saying it's not important to write down these constitutions. It certainly is for sort of Northwest Protestant-derived cultures to have these things written down. But, but I feel fundamentally that what holds societies to account is, is actions and spirit of the people. And I, I just... I'm trying to figure out how to to, to reignite that, or and I, I guess I'm skeptical. Maybe I am blackpilled, but I am skeptical that it even can be reignited uh, with without some large changes to our society. Well, the, I would argue that the alternative is uh, world tyranny and the destruction of all order and the death of 95 percent of the world's population. I think that if I think we should take a stab at reigniting U.S. civic society, and I've actually talked about this before. People need to take more responsibility for themselves, building a new skill, dropping one of their vices, being present like, uh, you know, don't just send your children off to school or something like that. Teach them things yourself. 
give people working knowledge, hold the school accountable, hold the local government accountable. We need more civics, not less. It's mm. going to be very, very difficult to get a bulk of the population to do this. But if we are successful, the alternative to being successful would be terrible. Uh, I mean, Western civilization would collapse and uh, most of us would be dead. The rest would be suffering, probably from cholera mostly, because it'd probably be a nuclear war or something like that. I mean, you can have a monarchy thereafter, that's fine, but you know, you're going to rule over a radioactive crater. And, you know, your, your kingdom glows in the dark, so at least it's good. You don't have electricity anymore, but you can still see at night, you know? I think almost all neo reactionaries imagine the monarch holding back the war and the collapse. It's the only reason why people even <laughs> entertain this idea. If Caesar led to the collapse of the Roman Empire, no no one wants Caesar so they can just transition to Clovis and Charlemagne, like in, in you know Charlemagne in, in the, the God. Yeah. In the chaotic <laughs> and Charlemagne's way after even even Clovis and those early kings that came after the Roman Empire. But the, the whole idea is to hold back the collapse. No one wants a no one wants collapse and then monarchy. <laughs> By the that's, way, we're gonna be go, of, we're gonna be yeah. going to super chats in a moment. Sure. But the very first super chat that I wanted to do right now uh is from King of Biltong, who is now an official BTR sponsor. And he says, good afternoon from Anton's in Roanoke, Texas. Deliver of your biltong will on us if you use the code BTR on our site. Get yourself some of these healthy, high-protein beef snacks. Also, clank to everyone. And I got to say, after Styx uh, led me to the discovery of Anton's biltong, I was hooked from day one. Like, all the products there have been absolutely top-notch. My personal favorite is the bison. And in general, like if you guys are looking to uh, get uh, more protein into your diet, if you're working out and you want to hit those macros, there is literally nothing better than some nice, salty biltong, you know, for breakfast or uh, uh, dinner or whatever. It really doesn't matter. It's great stuff, great product. So again, use uh, code BTR, just three letters, BTR at a checkout. And I guarantee you guys are going to have a great time. Land of biltong. I'm going to put uh, some more info on the chat and also by the before, way Lev, yes, Lev, yes. we gotta ask dave have you had the uh, uh mm. anton's built on no it's it's a beef product company it's or? like yes. a south south african uh fermented sort of uh dried it's similar mm -hmm. to beef jerky you'd say right oh, okay. it's way better than beef jerky way You've better got to try it Oh, I'll, I'll definitely give it a shot it's south african you say like boar yeah. or whatever okay yeah yeah, 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 it's yeah made, exactly. in, made in texas though Oh, okay. I gotta ask my friend uh, Conscious Caracal about that, though. He's, oh, I already, I already let him know about that. Conscious Caracal, another BTR regular. <laughs> Speaking of which, if you guys, he's probably eating it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. If this is the first time, by the way, for you guys to watch Break the Rules, you know what this is. Break the Rules brings all the different circles together on the internet. This is how we got Stick Sex and Hammer Six 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 together with Dave the Distributist, because the idea is that we have all these circles that are isolated from each other, and now it's time to break all those circles up and to have have people just mesh ideas with each other and that's what break the rules have been doing i had a uh, curtis yarvin on recently he's become a regular guest along with vladislav davidson of the atlantic council having very nice discussions there i've had lord miles on Brittany venti sticks of course count dankula so subscribe right now and jason Giorgiani, subscribe right now and go to patreon.com slash break the rules coming up on february 1st it's going to be 
a uh, stream of the recording that I'm going to have in my New York City apartment with Jason Giorgiani and Gnostic Informant, Nietzsche versus Plato. So if you guys want to have like the uh, back uh, access there and ask all kinds of questions and see how the uh, biltong is fermented, be sure to uh, become a patron right now, patreon.com slash break the rules. And of course, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, click the bell. That is extremely important for uh, growth. Anyway, we're going to go to the very first super chat over here and it is from miles kinslau not related to lord miles miles says hey lev thanks for having these two on dave love your conversation with wokal insightful <laughs> sticks sticks always a joy clank wish all you well Thank you very much, Miles. I wonder if you're connected to Lord Miles. But uh, anyway, before the rest of the Super Chats come in, Sticks, do you have any uh, response to what Dave was talking about? Is there any way that we can make this kind of... Uh... Oh, actually, we do have one more Super Chat coming in hot here. Here we go. A New Way Forward, who is a regular BTR patron, by the way, regarding how to fix the society. Do we try to fix America as a whole, or have you considered recognizing sovereignty of states and rebuilding, reestablishing systems that work and scaling them up? I believe in uh, expanding the 10th Amendment to give states more explicit power in general. Uh, it can't be 100%, but in general, it uh, makes more sense to do that. Yeah, I do believe that the Western system, though, can be saved. I don't see any other pragmatic alternative. The problem is that all of the other alternatives that are offered are actually harder than simply reforming the system that we're already working with. I think it's easier to fix this car than to buy another car because this car has got some dings in it. It's batteries fucked, but you know, we can probably get it running again as opposed to spending another 20, 30 grand or whatever the hell a car costs these days. I don't even want to think about that. Thanks, Biden. <laughs> I think I think that the the way to go is you know I think Aaron McIntyre, who's been on your show a few times too. Yeah, recently, as, by the way, with Peter Bogosian. Check that one out as well. Yeah, that that's surreal because uh, I um, used to be a regular at Peter Bogosian's uh, atheism versus theism talks back in the early 2010s. Wow. So it would have been it, it was sort of biographically surreal to see those two people in the same <laughs> uh, conversation, uh, but. Um, the uh, the the pardon for the lapse of thought. Um, we were talking about the tenth. Yeah. So Aaron McIntyre has said that one way possibly out of this is that we will simply create functional systems at the local and state level. That is sort of my favorite near-term potential get-out clause. Is not so much reforming the system but creating alternative systems at a smaller scale and then trying to transfer authority to those systems. And maybe those systems would work in a similar way to the Republican model that we had in the constitutional era. Maybe they won't, but I mean, always start with what works, right? Maybe that's just the best default you have to go to. Uh, my, my concern is that Trying reform at a macrocosmic level, it just has, it's essentially a Gordian knot at this stage. There are so many things that need to be undone. And the thing is so complicated that, and and then the moves need to sort of untangle it are so heavy that, that the system, I feel like you just kind of need to create a new system and then slowly transfer to the new system. 
uh, and that would be sort of easy to build it up from the ground up. For instance, uh, sort of the debt demographic bomb that's looming on the horizon in the next seven to 10 years is something that I can only think of. I cannot think of a way to reform that. I can only think of a way to kind of declare bankruptcy and reset the system and then move to something that actually works. You build from the ground up. Sticks, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree on the debt part. I think that we might be on the edge of another Great Depression. Uh, the problem is, does uh, the entirety of Western civilization collapse or are we capable of scraping things together? And Dave is actually right on that. There is no solution at this point. That That is a ticking time bomb and it's going to hit hard. Do yeah. you uh, do you foresee there being a lot more private security? So let's say certain areas that are more well off, they're just going to hire what yeah. versus private security that be then ends up becoming like a private army of sorts together with advanced technology. Because this is the other weird thing. We're living in an unprecedented time where we have all the social media and AI and all these things and now robots possibly. So do you see a slightly different way that this uh, future will end up knowing that now we're not just living in medieval times we also have all these things or even worse maybe do you foresee like six uh, like um uh Giorgiani foresees that there being this controlled deceleration of technology where people are actually going to go back to living like medieval times and uh we're not going to bother with any of the tech just because we're not going to be able to afford anything well, a little bit of primitivism is fine. Uh, my private security is uh, by Glock. So, yeah, I feel like my chances are a little bit higher than uh, urban liberals or somebody like that. <laughs> I, also, I also agree with Dave. I do believe devolving things to a lower level does generally help because uh, especially in the United States, imagine this, uh, like a conservative in Illinois has a lot of social alienation. Uh, liberal living in Wyoming is going to have a lot. But if the states take up more and more of a role, they're going to go off in those directions more. People will tend to move. As long as there's freedom of movement, they will tend to amalgamate within those spheres uh, more generally. And then the social alienation problem is less. We see this right now uh, with growing pains as far as the Californians all moving to Texas right now. And the Texans, uh, by and large, not particularly happy, it seems, about it. I mean, the, the ideal... I mean, this is, there's all these kind of escape hatches that you could and could not take. An ideal escape hatch is to simply have an ordered society emerge at the state level. Again, Arendt's talked a lot about this. The, the difficulty is that the states are not designed to be autonomous from the federal government, and they would need to start exerting autonomous control in order to sidestep a lot of the collapsing systems that the federal government's currently involved with. Obviously, the currency collapse would be the first one. The next one would be the demographic and immigration collapse. Can states manage their borders? Obviously, you know, we're, we're currently coming up on a bunch of these questions going to the court, uh, but, but it's classically been understood that the state could not prohibit immigration from other states. That will become an issue if the state is to become the primary guarantor of security over a collapsing federal government. Because, we have to, oh, yeah, sorry. You can't have security with an open border. 
We have uh, two Super Chats, by the way, um, and uh, I want to make sure how you guys are doing on time. Sticks, I know you have an out pretty soon. So after Yeah, I'm, I'm, chats... about four, I'm about four or five minutes out from my hard uh, break, actually. Okay, okay, so these are the last yeah. Super Chats here. The first one's more of a comment. The second one's a question. So let's go from uh, Donnie DeWitt, uh, $10. All a good king needs is high IQ, low time preference, and a stake in the nation's future. Moldbug's neo-cameraless system of monarchy incentivizes these traits monarchy is an anti-dysgenic system and i'm just gonna add one more here because again like we want to limit the super chats now send no more super chats as sticks loves to say and uh here we go from c kevin crow we've been demoralized by porn feminism blasphemy the cia fed usury militarism our laws contain the solutions are but demoralized men will enforce nothing pornography feminism and fasting first Fasting first, gotta go fast. Fasting's actually great. By the way, here we go. The final super chat, David Wirtz, $10. Is state education a bad idea? Will we all be homeschooled? Here we go, fellas. Last one. I, I, I think that state education is inferior to private uh, education and tutoring, and especially homeschooling. I think that uh, people who homeschool should get a cut of the pie if there's gonna be any public funding whatsoever. Unfortunately, it is necessary. There's nothing that we can do about the advent that there will be centralized schooling. Again, I would say that the only real answer is to try to more constitutionally constrain sort of what's going on maybe in an educational context. We don't even need a Department of Education, for example. Just let schools teach people. What do you need to know? Uh, grade school. You need to know how to read and write and do a few other things. You don't need to be worrying about uh, teaching king kids about docking or sphincter baiting, and that's mainly what public schools have devolved into. So, Dave, any thoughts on docking? Uh, docking. <laughs> that, that, don't don't ask. Look it up later. We won't, we won't mention that on chat. The algorithm will hate oh, us. Okay, I, I'll, I'll steer around that question. But to respond to one of the super chatters' contentions. I do not believe that monarchy is a progenic or antigenic system. Uh, monarchy's only utility is that it stops the degeneration specifically caused by democratic democratic systems collapse or you know uh, oligarchic systems collapse. Uh, the the Caesarian reign in Rome. Uh, facilitated a very, very slow decline in population quality over the few hundred years that it existed. Uh, there's nothing about monarchical systems necessarily that fixes this problem. Don't oversell the product, guys. <laughs> it's just to stop the worst elements of chaos from erupting. It does not fix all your problems. The problems with things like societal trust and dysgenics are only... They're only stopped by a sort of a minimal level of hardship, which potentially is necessary, and sort of religious and moral systems that are taught and handed down from generation to generation. Those are the things that stop them, not monarchy, not democracy. These are just tools to get things done and to hold off chaos at a larger level. Well, there we have it, guys. I know, Sticks, you got to go now. So this is officially the end. I just want to say that red dragon, that beautiful red dragon, my dad created that on your wall over there. 
so you could thank my dad for that uh, wonderful uh, piece of art there. And lastly, patreon.com slash break the rules. After this stream concludes, you are going to be redirected to a YouTube link where you can click on to go right to the Patreon, become a patron today, and you are going to get to see the behind-the-scenes look at the uh, recording that we're going to be doing in New York City. So in person, none of this, uh, you know, uh, Zoom crap or whatever. We're going to have an in-person discussion like it was always meant to be with Jason Giorgiani and Gnostic Foreman about Nietzsche versus Plato. Be there or be square on Patreon, and then eventually we're going to release the episode like, well, I multi-cameras but this way you could be like in on the action early ask us questions all this good stuff so patreon.com slash break the rules what do you guys want to promote and then we are calling it quits today dave go for wanna... oh yeah six oh. go first oh, okay i'll go first yeah uh first dave it was uh nice talking to you i really like your content again i know 80 percent of this was kind of us agreeing with each yeah. other at least in principle <laughs> which i suspected would be the case but uh i only yeah. want to promote anton's biltong again yeah because actually he sent me he sent me another shipment actually the other day and uh i've already tied into it and I'm kind of hungry, so after this, I might go and grab a couple bites again. Landofbiltong.com. Landofbiltong.com. Exactly. Use code word BTR at checkout for this time around. Next time, you use sticks. Use code word BTR at checkout. I guarantee you guys are going to have a wonderful eating experience <laughs> with uh, Anton's uh, Biltong. Uh, Dave, what do you got for us? Um, well, you can, uh, again, thanks so much. I'm a big fan of sticks too. And I figured we would be agreeing a lot, uh, even though the audience always likes it when, when I descend into angry Dave mode, like I did last <laughs> time I was here. Uh, but, but I know no blood sports this time, guys, just calm discussion, but thanks so much. That's big fan. Uh, all I can promote is my Substack, which is fiddlers green at substack.com. And uh, I'd like to just encourage everyone to interact in their community, look for other people of like mind to build things with. We in my own circle have an organized our, our sort of little project to do this called basket weaving. If you want to DM me about that to, to meet other like-minded people in your area uh, and just uh, stay vigilant, stay with, keep your ear to the ground and, and stay safe in these chaotic times. And look out for 2024, Dave's conversion to Judaism saga, where he's going to call his thing a Fiddler's Green on the roof. Fiddler's so. Green on the roof. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. Well, that's, that's a good one. Fiddler's Green on the roof. Exposed. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, uh, like, subscribe, click that bell, clank that bell. And uh, patreon.com slash break the rule. Share this with all your friends and loved ones and cats and dogs and even uncles. I will catch you next time. Take care. From Styx, Dave the Distributist. Follow me on Twitter at LeftPo. And Discord. Go to the Discord server right now. If I don't promote the Discord, I am going to be extremely angry with myself because I know how much all of you guys just love the Discord. There is a Break the Rules Discord. So here is the link to the Break the Rules Discord. I am posting it in the chat. Go in there right now. Click that invite. We got to get more people into Discord. Thank you guys so much.